0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, happy Valentine's Day. I am not sure how to follow that video, though. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And what's worse, honestly, is that I married one of those cootie bugs there. (laughs) Which, ladies, if you're single, it goes to show that the love of the right woman can transform any man. <laughs> Hiya! Yeah. <laughs> I take all credit for Nick. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, we're in our last week of our series, Life Hacks. And obviously, Life Hacks is a term that we use for tips and tricks that we um, can help make our lives a little bit easier. For instance, one of my favorite life hacks, and I feel like I was a little late to the train on this one, was how to clean the microwave properly. I used to just scrub and scrub and curse the name of all the people who had not covered their dish. Well, no more people, because now I know you just put a bowl of water in the microwave with a little bit of lemon, let it run for five minutes, and then sit for five minutes, and the steam does all for you. It's brilliant. That's my favorite life hack. Did you guys all know about that for a long time? No? Some of you didn't know. Oh, it's going to change your life. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Well, Paul in Philippians 4.8 gives us his life hack for staying on the right path, and it is this. He says it all starts with what you're thinking about. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This verse, I feel like, is an echo from Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, or from out of it springs the issues of life. Or it determines the course of your life, like the New Living Translation says. Let's look a little bit closer at Philippians 4.8 before we continue on today. It says, uh, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I feel like Paul is kind of like an employer or like a parent who's getting ready to duck out of the house and says, now don't forget to, and then leaves, Right? He's saying, fix your thoughts. And I love that word, that reminder there, fix, is an active word. This is not something that just happens on accident. This does not just the way that we we live our lives and what we will naturally think about. We have to, on purpose, fix our thoughts on these things, because sometimes all of life is in a struggle against us to think about these things. Um, fill your minds with, or other versions say, meditate on, center your mind on these things, implant them into your heart, implant, that takes an active work, because everything of life, our relationships, our words, the things we do, the things we don't do, all flows out of what you're thinking about. So choose wisely. Are our thoughts in our head true, honorable, right, Pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise, or are they the opposites? And I wrote some opposites down to sort of put it all in perspective. Are our thoughts untrue, degrading, mean to others, dirty, ugly, embarrassing, or shameful, things that are evil, the worst assumptions, things that should be stopped? Are we thinking about things that are just plain selfish? And the difference between Paul's list and those lists of opposites in our minds happens so quickly and so subtly. Sometimes it takes us by surprise and we're like, where did that come from? Why am I thinking this way? So we're going to continue today. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I can't even remember what I did on Friday. So I'm going to remind us all where we've been for the past four weeks and what we've been learning. And week one, Ryan opened up with a thought. Where our minds go, our life flows. Week two, Nick reminded us that Christ breaks the truth, or Christ breaks, Christ's truth, let me say this right, breaks Satan's lies. He tackled the word true. Week three was the platinum rule. Do to others as Christ has done for you. That was honorable and right. Last week was pure, lovely, and admirable. And Nick talked about pressing through Uh, The process of being refined that can be painful sometimes so that we can become pure, admirable, and lovely. Which brings us to today, and our words today are excellent and praiseworthy. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege today to stand before these people, God. I do it with humility, and I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do through the work of your Holy Spirit, which is to bring Um, thoughts, God, and make them personal to people, to take your word in Philippians 4.8 and to apply it, God, personally in each lives, each of our lives, God, in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So today, I'm going to ask that you put on your thinking cap a little bit. I have some questions for you as we go along, and I really, truly want you not to just leave those questions out there somewhere. I want you to personalize them and think about really the answers for you. And so that's going to require you paying attention and really staying with me. So our first word is excellent. And this is kind of a normal word. We might use it every day to mean like good, right, or really great. But literally excellence is something that we excel in or something that has gone beyond the normal or beyond what was sort of expected. And that bar for what we would call excellent might change depending on the person, it might change depending on the situation. We might tell our little two-year-old, excellent job when they jump out of bed and go brush their teeth right away. But I am not going to give my husband the compliment of excellent job when he gets out of bed and goes to brush his teeth. Why? (laughs) Because that's a really low bar. That's just what is expected. And if you're an adult and you're still not brushing your teeth, it is time to get after it, people. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So my question, or one of my questions, my first question is, what do you excel at? What are you really good at? What are you known for being good at? And some of our talents, some of the things we're good at are serious and important things and really notable, and other things are just kind of silly. And I am going to share one of my hidden silly talents with you today. Guys, I am super good At what my family calls the mouth trumpet, that I am like an old man. I go through my house as I'm working, and I, with my mouth, can produce the sound, the beautiful sound of the trumpet. Would you like me to share it with you? (laughs) Okay, here we go. (laughs) I know. You guys, it's so good. I know. Your life has changed. It causes you to want to worship the Lord. I saw that hand. (laughs) So what are you known for being good at, guys? (laughs) Obviously, that's a really silly, silly talent, and a lot of us have hidden small talents, but More seriously, we are all going to die and someday people are going to gather, our friends and family at our funerals, and they're going to talk about us. What are they going to say? What stories will they tell? What will they say he was so good at, or man, she always could fill in the blank. All right, now let's move on from excellent to praiseworthy. This is not a word we use every day, as in, wow, what a praiseworthy job you did. We wouldn't say that, right? And at first glance, excellent and praiseworthy might kind of both mean the same things like really good or great, right? But they carry different connotations. And I really think that ideally they work together for the full effect. We need praiseworthy and excellent. Praiseworthy is something that we clap for something that is worthy of our time, our money, our, our energy, something worth striving for or patterning our life after. So let's go back to our funeral, not because it's morbid, but because I actually think this is a really good exercise to think about. Someday at my funeral, I want people to say this. Okay, so to today, are my decisions, are the things I'm doing going to get me to that point How will your friends finish this sentence? She just loved, or his favorite thing to do on a Saturday night was, what would your kids say that you constantly are encouraging them to fill in the blank? Excellent is doing something well, while praiseworthy is being good or having virtue. Another way to say this is, excellence has to do with those gifts and talents that we have, and praiseworthy has to do with the character or the merit of something. Because we can be excellent at something that isn't very praiseworthy. Okay? The mouth trumpet is not very praiseworthy. I'm also really good at eating pizza. I mean, I can pound it down, you guys, but that is not praiseworthy. Somebody can be excellent at tearing somebody to shreds taking their dignity, they can do it like that and be good at it. That's, they can be excellent at it, but that is not praiseworthy. And on the flip side, somebody can be full of good thoughts and merit and, and virtue, but if you don't do anything with that, you don't meet a standard of excellence in that, you don't share it for the good of the people around you, it hasn't done any good. You need both praiseworthy, and excellent. Which leads me to some questions. Are you happy with what you are known for? Are you excelling at the right things? What are you doing to bless others with areas that you excel in? Do your thoughts, your time, your money, do they go to things that are worthy of praise? Are you clapping for the right things. On one hand, you have all these things maybe that you're good at, things that you champion. On the other hand, you have to evaluate, are these the right things that I should be promoting, that I should be good at? And if there's a gap between what is, what I am good at, what I do clap for, and what I should be good at, what I should be championing in the others around me, If there's a gap there, that shows us, okay, that's where we have some work to do. So how do we know, how do we decide really what is excellent and worthy of praise? You know, we used to wear those bracelets, some of us when we were young that said, what would Jesus do, the WWJD? There are times in my life where I'm in situations and I am like, please tell me, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because I really don't know. Sometimes it is hard to know. What is excellent and praiseworthy? So do I look at self? Heck no. My self has led myself astray a lot of times, you guys. And I guarantee for you too. Our society? God help us all, truly. I don't think we should be looking at society for what is excellent and praiseworthy. Really, the only true source is what the Holy Spirit Reveals to us through the people who wrote things down when Jesus lived and walked on the earth and watched him. We have to look to Jesus for what is excellent and praiseworthy. And I love the perspective of Chuck Swindoll in his book, Laugh Again, that we've been referencing as we've been in this series. His perspective on what Jesus deemed excellent and worthy of praise. And as I read, imagine if you know Chuck Swindoll. You know his voice, imagine his voice because it is the best. And if you haven't heard Chuck Swindoll before, you should listen to his voice because it's amazing. All right, this is what he says What is the most Christ like attitude on earth? Think before you answer too quickly. I am certain many would answer love. That is understandable, for he did indeed love to the utmost. Others might say patience. Again, not a bad choice. I find no evidence of impatience or anxious irritability as I study his life. Grace would also be a possibility. No man or woman ever modeled or exhibited the grace that he demonstrated right up to the moment he breathed his last. As important as those traits may be, however, they are not the ones Jesus himself referred to when he described himself for the only time in Scripture. I am thinking of those familiar words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Did you catch the key words? I am gentle and humble in heart, which might be best summed up in the one word, unselfish. According to Jesus' testimony, that is the most Christ-like attitude we can demonstrate. Because he was so humble, so unselfish, the last person he thought of was himself. When a Christian is unselfish, others mean more than self. Pride is given no place to operate. So the answer to our question How do we figure out what is excellent and praiseworthy? What should we be clapping for and patterning our lives after and helping others pattern their lives after? Unselfishness. Chuck goes on to say, the goal is that we become so interested in others and in helping them reach their highest good that we become self-forgetful in the process. So much easier said than done. We have been taught, find your own truth, make your own way, live in your freedom, find yourself, do what makes you happy. That's a whole lot of self. I think this is so interesting that Jesus described himself this way when he got to choose for the moment, the one time in scripture that he described himself, that he was gentle and humble in heart. In other words, he was really good at laying down himself. That's how he, the self, that's how he described himself. Andrew Murray said the humble person is not one who thinks meanly of himself or looks down on himself. He simply does not think of himself at all. So what is something praiseworthy that we should really be working hard to get good at? Living selflessly, serving others. So how are you in that department? How would your friends and family answer how you are in that department? Because I guarantee you, when someday people gather at your funeral, you don't want them to say, wow, she was really full of herself. (laughs) Boy, she just was always doing nice things for herself. Or would they say that you champion the highest good for the people around you, that you clap for other things. I was thinking about these two words, excellent and praiseworthy, over the past month and a half as I knew that I was going to be talking about it. And I just began to really think about what is it that I put the stamp of excellent and praiseworthy on? What do I clap for? What do I cheer for? What is my family? What do we cheer for? What do we celebrate in our home? And then I began to take it even bigger, and I thought, in in our society, what is it that we clap for? What is it that we strive for as the highest good? I really think in our society that we, above all else, we clap for fame and fortune. So we champion all those things, things that entertain us, people who are talented and beautiful, and that is a whole Lot of self? Are those the things we should be clapping for? Really, we said we need both excellent and worthy of praise. It doesn't matter all the time if you're just talented and you're beautiful. You can be excellent, but is it praiseworthy? Okay, so I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. So if you are a little bit sensitive, just put on your seatbelt for a second, buckle in, okay? All right, we're all buckled in. But truly, I say this in all humility, as a mom and somebody who is following Jesus who knows that I do not have it all figured out. I know that. And so I say this in humility, but I also say it because I'm deeply concerned as to where we are going as people who follow Jesus. I would suggest that our society promotes and claps for and gives our time and our energy toward Sexual freedom and everything that goes with it. Above all else, that's what we constantly are championing. That's what we're seeing. And Christians, in large part, are just following right along. Sex sells, and it's everywhere. You can't go to the grocery store without seeing it. You can't insulate yourself. It's on TV, it's in our books, it's in our music. People call it sexual freedom of expression, they call it art, entertainment. They call it just good, clean fun, call it normal. You can call it what you will. All that might be true. But is it excellent and worthy of praise? The things that we're watching in our own living rooms, the things that we're allowing into our homes, are they excellent and worthy of praise? I believe it should be both. And make no mistake, sexuality is powerful. We can't deny that in good ways and bad ways. Just like dynamite, it can be used to blast through to make roads in gorgeous mountain passes, but it can also blow you to bits. It is powerful, and the perversion of this gift that God has given is everywhere. And in a lot of ways, we invite it into our own homes and naively think it's kind of going to stay corralled in the box that we put it in. Are you uncomfortable yet? It's going to get just a tiny bit worse, okay? (laughs) I was deeply concerned and a little bit undone last Sunday when I watched the halftime show. And part of it was I was really happy and excited to celebrate these Latina women who are smart and talented and beautiful and it's... Two women who get to do it, I think, for the first time, the halftime show, just the two of them. So I wanted, I had some investment in it. I was excited about it. And they should be proud of their talents and their bodies and um, all of that. And really, the show was excellent. It was a good show. However... It was extremely sexual. These two women were barely clothed. One of them was on a stripper pole. Think about what a stripper pole represents. It's the ultimate objectivity for a woman. And so I don't think that just saying, oh, you know what you're gonna get at a halftime show is a reason that it's all good. And for the record, my husband and my boys turned their heads, and I sort of fast-forwarded through most of it because I was really disappointed that, that this was a moment that could have been great, a moment that could have been wonderful for women and Latina women in particular, but it was a missed opportunity because I had to think, is this really what we want our children to receive as the message for this is the highest good to strive for? If Jesus was watching the Super Bowl with us, would you have been comfortable with him watching the halftime show with you? Why or why not? And if he did, would he at the end of it just said, that is a really good show. Way to go. Why or why not? Is this helping my teenage son and yours to respect women and to treat them with dignity and appreciate their talent and their brains. Is this helping my husband be faithful to me in his thoughts later on? Because Jesus said, you've heard it said when he was talking to a group of people on this subject, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't look at a woman lustfully. That's in Matthew five. Can almost any man on the planet See JLo with her gorgeous body and not be tempted to fantasize about her. And why, why, why would I put any person I love in that position? Why would I put my sons in that position? Why would I put my husband in that position where failure is almost guaranteed? It's not loving, it doesn't seem kind to me. I can be really comfortable with my body but that doesn't mean I should share it with your husband. (laughs) My question is, why do we insist on feeding ourselves, our young boys, why do we insist on feeding them, and our girls for that matter, on a steady diet of sex? and then be surprised when they can't stop eating? Why do we bait them all the way to the edge of the cliff and then shame them when they fall? Why do we insist on displaying in all of the glory, women's beautiful bodies, and then say, stop thinking about our body, think about our brain, respect her, think about our talent? Is that loving? is that kind. And if we continue down this path, we are going to continue to have a society full of confused, shamed men who don't know what to do with themselves. And our daughters are going to continue to cry, me too. And it breaks my heart. And sidebar, please hear me say this. No man, no woman has ever deserved sexual assault. Ever. They would never have asked for it or deserved it. Never. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, why do we continue to set up a scenario where this is a cycle that's going to continue to be perpetuated and we're in for failure over and over and over? I am crushed by where our country is. And you may say, I don't don't know where this came from, but it comes from that passion of like, where are we going? What are we doing And as a follower of Christ and as a mom, I don't have the luxury of just consuming and sitting back and just taking whatever is given to me. It's my responsibility to filter through what message is being offered to me and my family. And not only what message is being offered, but what is my reaction and what message am I sending by my my reaction to the people around me? Because damage is actively being done to my husband, to my sons, to my daughters, to my own mind. I have to judge the goodness or the harmfulness of the things that we consume. And people love to say, don't judge, judge not, lest you be judged. I'll quote the scripture even. But I think we judge every single day, and sometimes our very lives depend on our judgments. We go to the store and we judge, is this food garbage for my family to consume or is this healthy for my family to consume? I'm gonna take it home, we're gonna consume it. Is it good or bad, I judge. On any given holiday, I judge, do I want my young daughter out on the roads at night? Because there's crazies out there who are gonna be drinking and driving and I don't want her to get hurt. I judge, I have to. For my family, for myself, for my husband, for my kids, when we're spending time with people, I have to judge. Is this good? Are these good people for us to be hanging out for? Are the effects right? Because bad company corrupts good character. Well, who's going to judge the bad company? I have to. I've been given a God-given mandate that I will stand before him someday and respond to how, what I did with the people coming behind me. So you might say this is just about raising kids, I'm an adult, nobody knows what I do, it doesn't matter what I do behind closed doors. But I would say it very much matters what we do, even if you don't have kids. It's naive to think we can just carry on, give in to secret pleasures, keep it a secret, and expect it all to stay nice and neatly corralled, and not affect, not come out, and affect the people around us and affect our minds. James says we are dragged away and enticed by our own desires. Does dragged away sound like freedom to you? Does dragged away sound like I'm in control? Does dragged away sound like art or nice entertainment? No, we are dragged away and enticed by our own desires. And you might feel like, oh my goodness, I didn't come to church expecting this. This is a little too much for me. But this Came from my belief wholeheartedly that I think our consumption of entertainment, particularly in the area of the sexuality that comes into our entertainment, is one area where we do not judge excellent and praiseworthy very well. We're not getting it right. We are not getting it right. Back to Philippians 4, I don't think it's any coincidence that the list of true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise, that list of what we should be thinking about comes right before this. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God or God's peace will be with you. Whoa. I don't know anything else that might put the fear of God in me or you better than that, that thought that people are patterning after what I'm doing. My young people, my kids, my kids' friends, my friends, my neighbors are watching. Do I have the confidence to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Like Paul says, put into practice all you've learned from me, all you saw me doing. Am I comfortable saying, do what I do. Think about what I think about. Watch what I watch. It's also worth noting that Paul clearly reinforces that your choices of what you think about and do is less about you than it is about the others around you. It's that unselfish part. Because selfish is, I have the right to. Okay, maybe you do unselfish is, is this the right choice for the people around me? Is this the best I can choose for them? Does this deserve excellent and worthy of praise being the message that they receive that I've said, yes, excellent and worthy of praise on this? Follow me as I follow Christ means we give up some of the things that we might have otherwise done. Because somebody else is watching, somebody else is following, somebody else may not be able to control it the same way that you think you can. And they're patterning their life after us. So now what? Here are a few ways to reflect Am I celebrating and rewarding the right things? Because what gets rewarded gets repeated. Am I rewarding the right things? And some of these messages are really subtle that we're sending to our kids, to the people around us. What would it look like for me to excel at being selfless this week? Not just someday at my funeral, today, this week, how can I excel at being selfless, serving others? And what choices do I need to reconsider after today's message? with in mind, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do. Come along with me. Watch what I watch. Think about what I think about. Listen to what I listen to. I'm gonna pray. God, I pray that you would help us, that your grace would abound in our lives to live like Jesus, to truly become selfless, to let our choices and our patterns, our habits, our entertainment be filtered through the thought of selflessness. What would be the highest good for the people around us? God, help us to be on purpose, thoughtfully, putting our mark of excellent and praiseworthy on the right things. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.